Well, good morning, y'all. How are y'all doing? It's been a long, not even that long, it's been a few weeks since I've been up here. Um, And I don't know that I've ever been, not since the first time doing this, I've been as nervous as I am right now. Uh, I don't know why, I'm just nervous today. I do know why. Um, All right, so first things first. Um, I don't know how to do this. Um, Sometimes you plan what you're going to say. Sometimes you don't, and and I'm not super planned right now. Um, For those of you that do not know, uh, our family is moving to the Birmingham area in just about a month. Uh, It is exciting. It it has been uh, tremendous to see after a season where it felt like we were running like uphill on a treadmill. Uh, It has been uh, really exciting to see how God's kindness has shown itself in the smoothness of this happening. Um, So that's exciting. At the same time, it is really sad. This is the only church I've ever known. Um, I've been here for 38 years. Um, and so uh, I'm only increasing the number of churches I'm attending. I'm not in church, increasing the number of pastors I will have because I'm going to go to one of our former pastor's churches. Um, and uh, this class specifically over the last year, I have to tell you all, um, has been such a tremendous blessing to me and my family. Um, you are clapping for yourselves and only yourselves and for God. And I want you to know that. Um, because you truly have been a blessing to us. Uh, you have been God's means of sustaining us. Uh, your encouragement to me and to my wife and to my kids has been, has meant more than you probably, I could communicate. Um, I'm going to go over today, Peter. I just need you to, to know that we're going to go past 1045. Okay. Um, fire me. Um, uh, um, your your kindness and encouragement, individual people who have told me what, how you've been blessed by the work that we've put into this as a family, uh, that really sustains us. Um, the you you are really God's means. We always say God uses people to do things. Um, you know, we're reading a Bible, we're studying a Bible written by the Holy Spirit through human hands, and your ministry is another way of God's doing his work through human hands. And you have cared for us so well. Pastor Peter has cared for us so well. Um, And I I can say with no, no equivocation whatsoever, this, this class and this church as a whole makes this decision to move so much harder. (laughs) Um, If I didn't have a place where I felt cared for and poured into for the amount of time that we've been, um, it would be easy to uproot and go someplace else. Um, But this this group and this church as a whole, uh, the leadership here, uh, the spirit that is here for truth, which we're going to talk a lot about today, um, makes it very difficult to leave. And we will be very sad as we leave. Um, But we will be also very excited about what God has in front of us. 
Um, as you all know, geographically, I'm going to do this geography. So Birmingham is about five hours northeast from here. If you want to go on a road trip, you can either drive through Texas or you can go the smart way. Um, we will be on the way the smart way. And for friends passing through, we'd love to see you. Um, uh, it is just, just be careful because when you go there, we, we went there after Ida and stayed with some friends and that's how you get stuck. Um, <laughs> so it is lovely up there. It is beautiful and close to, close to even more beautiful things. Um, so yes, we're excited. Thank you all again for the way you've cared for us. The last year or so of teaching here has been uh, so good for my soul and so good for my walk, uh, so good for our family. Um, it's been challenging. It's, it's demanding, um, but it's good demanding. So that said, let's move forward into the text at hand. Uh, we are coming towards the end, hitting the home stretch of Jesus's I am sayings. Today, we're going to focus on the, the three-part one. And rather than, Pastor Peter and I talked about this, rather than do a week for each one, uh, I feel like two parts of this are more self-explanatory or have been more covered in other places. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on those, just really in passing. But we're going to focus on one specific part of this. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, open to John 14, 1. Uh, we're going to read the setup, and then we're actually going to read the text, uh, the, the I am statement itself. Um, I'm going to start with some water. Um, Uh, This is Jesus speaking. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, classic Thomas, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas is going to Thomas, y'all. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So recap this. Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Uh, and I'm going to bring you with me eventually. And the disciples say, "How we don't even know where this place is. How are we supposed to know the way? Because Jesus says, you know the way. Thomas doesn't get this. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I want to start with the first part of this. The way is probably the simplest um, of the three things. It's very much in the context of the passage. This is the way to where I am going. Um, in order to have eternal dwelling with God, Christ is the actual way in which this is done. So he's answering a direct question with that. Not going to spend a ton of time talking about that. We could, we've just made some editorial choices here. Um, the life, Pastor Peter has talked a lot about the life and resurrection. Um, we talked a lot about the life in our first John study. So I'm going to ask you to review those things. <laughs> um, what we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about today is the truth. Uh, are you okay with us making that decision? I hope you are because I don't have notes for the other things right now. So I could sit and work on them real fast, but 
That'd be awkward for everybody. Um, now, I want to view this, because uh, I have in your notes here, the most controversial word in this statement is the. Uh, it is a controversial statement. And that's specifically for us reading that in the 21st century. And I would say even more so for anybody who's younger in the room. Um, in Jesus' time, I think this bears, bears pointing out, the I is probably the most controversial part of that. Um, they would have had a value for objective truth, for a single way to approach God, for a single way to have life. But it would have been what they see outlined in the Old Testament, not understanding that it's being fulfilled in Christ. So for Jesus to come and say, all of that stuff that you've been learning about for years and years and years that God has revealed in the Old Testament, what he's saying to them is all of that, the way into the Father through the sacrifice, the truth of God as revealed in the word, uh, and the life everlasting, I am that, that was taught about. That is a mind-blowingly uh, confrontational statement there. We can't even get to the I nowadays because the the is a stumbling block. Uh, generally, generationally, and again, like I said, those of you that are, I'm like the litmus test. If you're older than me, this probably isn't as big a deal for you and your friends. If you're younger than me, it probably is a bigger deal for you and your friends. Um, the, the idea of exclusivity that is baked into that word. We have three, right? Three articles in, in English language, right, Peter? Three articles. Two of them are indefinite, a and an, and they just really are different because of what kind of words they come before. The is the definite article. If I said a house, it could be any house. If I said a chair, it could be any of these chairs. But if I say the, that defines one particular thing. So for Jesus to say that I am the truth, today it's a controversial statement to say that there is just one truth, that there is just one way to God, that there is just one way to have life. So as we approach this in the 21st century, the meaning of the text is still the meaning of the text, but where it rubs against the listener or the reader here is different than where it would have rubbed against Jesus's initial listeners who would have had a big problem. They, they would have not had a problem with there being a single way to God. They would have a problem with Jesus saying that he is that way. Um, so I do want to push on both parts of that as we go through, through what we mean here. Um, how many of y'all have heard people say, like probably talk show hosts, uh, the truth will set you free? How many of y'all hear that just thrown around? The truth will set you free. Uh, that is up there with like the most like ham-fistedly misused scriptures in the Bible. It's on the short list. Um, oftentimes people use it as if somebody is keeping a secret, if they're hiding something they're guilty of. People will say, the truth will set you free. What does that mean? What, what they're saying there is, if you will just be open and honest, you will feel better. You'll feel freer. Is that true? Probably, but this isn't the scripture that talks about that, okay? Uh, there's more about that in Psalms uh, and other passages. Um, the truth, if the truth will set you free, and if it's not meant in that kind of way or some 
Uh, again, the is important here. People will say the truth will set you free. That means there's a specific truth that will set you free. A specific is like a way of taking the indefinite A and turning it into a definite the. A specific truth. The truth will set you free. And we know that that saying is true, even if it's misused, because it's a direct quote from Jesus. John eight thirty two. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, and so the question is, what is truth? That is what we've got to get to the bottom of. Uh, and we're not even the first people to ask that question. Um, do y'all know who asked that question in the Bible? What is truth? Anybody know that passage? Steve. It was Pilate. Uh, after Jesus basically tells him, I'm truth. He's like, what is truth? Were you just listening to Jesus talking? But um, So this is not a new question. What is truth is a big deal because truth is what we orient our lives around. Um, so we need to know the location and identity of truth for us to have an orientation for our lives uh, with no absolute um, point around which we orient ourselves. You've ever been... Um, like hiking, and you have a map, uh, if you don't know where you're starting and you don't have an objective picture of where you are, then you can't get where you're going reliably. You may, I did hear a story about this recently about people who found, I'm trying to remember, I'm going to butcher this story. Basically, they were like shipwrecked or plane, it's like a plane crash survivors, and they found a map and they followed the map to like a village. And it just wasn't even like the same like, continent they were on or something like that it was like the wrong map and they just just dumb luck found their way to the right spot i don't want to rest my eternal soul on that kind of dumb luck okay um now i want to look here though so if we're looking at what the truth is i want to look at this this uh, thread that john weaves through his gospel we're going to follow a few passages here and i want to equivocate these three things the truth the word and the sun. How many of y'all, I know Pastor Peter is a grammar nerd. I'm more of a math nerd and a logic nerd. So if I say, who's, who's my, who else is math nerds in here? Anybody else math nerds? No? All right. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, okay? Uh, that's what we're going to work on here. So John 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we have the word, and we have a he. And we know from later in John 1 that he refers to Jesus. And it tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is Jesus. So right out of the gate, what John is doing here, he is making an equivocation between the word of God and the son of God. We follow there? Stay with me. You can't go anywhere. I guess you could, but let's go back to the passage that we were just reading about the truth will set you free. Let's look at that passage again more closely. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the will set you free. What truth is that referring to in this passage? The word. I know, don't get ahead of me. I'm getting there, okay? I know it's Jesus. Y'all good Sunday school students. The answer is always Jesus. Um, it sure sounds like a squirrel sometimes, but it's Jesus. So you will know, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What Jesus is doing there is saying, truth is found in the word of God. Okay? So pin those ideas together. Jesus is the word and the word is truth. Here's another verse on that. Sanctify them in the, your, is, word, truth, son. We got them all together. And then Jesus finally connects the dots in the passage that we were looking at this morning, which is, I am the way and the truth and the life. So Jesus makes this kind of triangle, if you can picture this. Uh, and really, John writes it this way, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to draw an equivalency between these three things, the word, the truth, and the son. So when we look at one, we can pack those other two into that idea as well and pull them out as we need to. So anytime we see the word, we know the word is true and the word is the son. Anytime we see truth, we know truth is found in the word and revealed in the son. And anytime we see the son, we know that he is the embodiment of the word of God, the enfleshment of the word of God, and the standard of truth. That's the case that John builds throughout his passage, his, his book. Now, what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to look at this, how this reality, that Jesus is the truth, how that impacts us in three specific ways. I'm going to look at how Jesus is the truth by which we judge our philosophy that he's the truth by which we judge our actions, and he's the truth by which we judge our circumstances. I'm going to start with our philosophy. I'm going to talk probably least about this, although admittedly it is the one that I could nerd out the most about. And the only reason is because Keith did a really good job of covering this last week and talking about the world. So I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, recap a ton of that. I was telling my wife on the way home yesterday, or last week, so I was going to talk about a bunch of this stuff but Pastor Keith already talked about a lot of it. I said, a lot of times I'll teach up here and then I'll go downstairs and he'll cover something really similar and just do a way better job and cover things I wish I would have said. And that feels terrible. I'm like, oh, that was lame. But it's better when he's already done it. And I can just like fill in whatever gaps I feel about it. It's like, y'all got the, the, the gist of it, right? Um, Jesus is the truth by which we judge our philosophy. Um, our world is Full of contenders for the title of what I call truth arbiter. Who gets to set the agenda for truth? Um, politicians love this job. Uh, that's older folks. Y'all probably paying more attention to them. People my age, middle-aged type guys, you're thinking more about podcasters maybe if you listen to a podcast a lot. Um, younger folks, influencers, right? It, they're all the same thing. They're all telling you, Here's what to think about the world. Here's what's true about the world. I'm going to tell you what's true. Um, and you'll notice two different kind of approaches that these truth arbiters will take. Again, 
older folks, your politicians especially, they will position themselves as the arbiter of truth. They will say, this is what is true. This is what is right. Uh, if you don't get with me on this, you can get out, right? That is, and, and there's a divisiveness to, to the way that can be done. I set the standard of truth. And look, truth is divisive. If there's only one truth, there's lots of things that are untruth, right? But the difference is that these folks would like to say, if you don't agree with me on this platform, on this political position, if you don't vote for this other person, or if you do vote for this other person, you are either in the truth club or you are out of the truth club, okay? Um, that is one approach that you see. But increasingly... Um, and, and let me just say this. Those folks will say that more explicitly. The younger, hipper thought that you see is just, they won't say it explicitly. They will just say everything that they say through a presumed lens of the truth. So they'll simply say what they think about things and what they feel about things. But what they're doing is showing you truth. or They're establishing what they are professing to be truth by way of how they're viewing situations. Does that make sense? Or viewing ideas or, or, or topics. Um, increasingly, what you will see is instead of people saying, I have the truth on this topic, you must follow me, they like to outsource it back to you. So younger folks these days deal more with the idea of... Um, you get to define what's true for you. You have your own personal truth that you need to discover. Um, now, the reality is, guys, that these aren't that different because I choose which politician I'm going to listen to and gets to tell me which is true. And really, I'm picking them according to what I believe anyway. And then I'm letting that inform me. Um, but whether it's old, stodgy politicians or young, hip influencers... The reality is that as believers in America, specifically in America, and I would say the 21st century in general, um, we need to be really, really vigilant about not simply imbibing the philosophies and the worldviews of the culture around us without running them through the lens of objective truth that is as John has revealed uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God as embodied in Jesus Christ. We can't, we got to make so certain that we don't take what the Bible says and run it through the filter of our favorite politician or our favorite podcaster or our favorite influencer or our favorite self-help author or whatever it is and keep whatever parts of scripture filter out, and it, sometimes they'll do this for us. They will use scripture, but they'll filter out all the stuff that doesn't agree with them. And they'll just give us the part, and they're like, look, they use scripture. Well, yeah, they do, but they're, they're determining the lens through which they are allowing you access, if they're your only touch point, to access scripture. We need to make sure that we are going to the source that we are going to the word, that we are going to the son, and that that is where we are sourcing truth. And from there, we are judging politician X or podcaster Y or influencer Z. And we are looking at these folks and saying, that person doesn't align with scripture. Uh, or even 
They said this, which honestly is biblical, but they also said this, which is not, and you just need to be careful, all right? Um, sometimes it's not a simple baby bathwater situation. Sometimes it's, people are complex, right? The truth is straightforward, but how people interact with the truth. How many of you guys know some true things? Thank you. How many of you guys know all true things? How many of you guys are certain that you are wrong about something? All right. Would you like for me to dismiss anything that you say to me because I know that you're wrong about something? No, we wouldn't be able to interact as human beings. We just need to understand that the final grounding place for truth is the word of God as revealed in Christ. Does that make sense? Cool. Um, yeah, you know, one last thought on this, on the, on the uh, how would I call this? I guess the uh, disbursement of the job of truth arbiter to the individual. I, I always think about, there's a commercial I used to hear on the radio for these storytelling events they'd have in the city um, called Bring Your Own. And people would bring, it's like an open mic night, I think. And they have storytellers who would tell stories, uh, life stories or whatever. And the ad always said, uh, stories are told live, unscripted, and true to the teller. The implication being that what is true is run through my filter. It's true to me, okay? That's not the way truth works. <laughs> uh, truth is objective. How many of you have heard the idea of subjective truth and objective truth? Okay. I get the point of that. There's no such thing as subjective truth. Let me say that. There's opinion. There's subjective opinion. Objective tr- truth is always objective. Okay. If I say, you know, this building is two stories tall, that is an objective truth. I don't get to say, I feel like it's three stories tall. That doesn't matter, okay? Uh, if I say uh, zero bars are the best candy bars, that's an, that's an opinion, right? I believe it, but it's an opinion. You may disagree. Now, if I say my favorite candy bar is a zero bar, that's an objective truth because it's a truth about me and what my favorite candy bar is. Um, so we have to realize that the idea of like subjective truth or your truth or uh, true to the teller, or it's, ha- it's the truth as I hold it to be, is a, is a fundamental categorical error. Truth doesn't work that way. Opinion works that way, and that's fine. Opinions are valid, uh, but they're not, they're not a grounding place, especially for us. We interact with others. Um, similarly, tied to that idea is the idea of uh, truth as the judge for our actions. It's the next working out spot of that. Once we know what's true, we do this all the time, by the way. We live in the world. We ground our belief about the world in some kind of truth. And then we act a certain way. We do things based on what we believe to be true. We don't do things. Like what we do reveals what we believe to be true. Um, If I believe that my car is safe, I will get in it and drive it. If I don't, I won't, right? What I believe to be true is revealed in my actions. If I believe someone is trustworthy, I'll act a certain way towards them. If I believe that they are untrustworthy, I'll act a different way towards them because what I believe determines what I do. And this is where 
the whole relativistic truth, the idea that I get to make my own truth, gets sticky because then I have to do something about it. Um, there's a book, uh, I don't remember the exact title, uh, called Live Your Truth and Other Lies Christians Believe or something like that. Um, you familiar with that book? Have you seen that book? Yeah. I don't remember the exact subtitle, but it, it is picking at this idea that, oh, I just get to live my truth. Um, that gets real messy when my truth and your, your truth are diametrically opposed to each other. You know, if my wife and I are painting a room um, or deciding what color to paint a room because I don't paint, um, I believe it should be this color. She believes it should be that color. It's going to be one color, right? <laughs> my truth runs into, into barriers of your truth. Um, if Christ is the truth and Christ is the word, then the word is truth and the word is to be the standard for our lives. Uh, no place, I don't think you see this more uh, emphatically stated than Psalm 119, the longest book, uh, longest chapter in the Bible, and it is entirely about the word of God. And I want you to focus, uh, I don't think I have it written out in your notes because it was long and space is precious on these little notes. Um, I'm going to read you Psalm 119, 1 through 11. And listen to the number of different times I emphasize talking about living in accordance with the word of God. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I, pray, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? There is one, one exclusive standard by which we are called to live as believers. And it should be an acknowledgement of Christ as the truth of God as revealed in his word. Uh, John Piper has a great book called What Jesus Demands from the World. So uh, this, this is just, these are just chapter titles. I just went with chapter titles for you guys from this book. Do not be anxious about the necessities of life. Humble yourself by making war on pride. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Give to the one who asks of you. Love your neighbor with the same commitment you have to your own well-being. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven by giving sacrificially and generously. And perhaps most uh, challengingly, take up your cross and follow me. Are my actions informed more by the American dream or by the commands and the example of Christ? Uh, that is our litmus test as believers for whether our lives are informed by real truth. Um, 
Are our lives marked by holiness in a way that it's a, a, a marked separation from the system and the ways of the world around us? And look, it's easy for us in, and, and I'll, I'll say this, one of the things that I, I look at as we move to Birmingham, uh, it gets in some ways even more challenging to sort out what holiness looks like and what being different from the world looks like when the world, the world in Birmingham, center of the Bible Belt, looks way different from New Orleans and what the standards are for cultural religion looks very different than here. And it makes it a challenging mission field, to be honest, because uh, nobody thinks they need Jesus. Um, and... That said, we can look at the things that we definitely stand out against. Well, I definitely don't agree with that thing. I definitely don't do that thing. What about just comfortable American suburban life? Like, are you ready to push back against that because it conflicts with what Jesus describes here in Scripture? Are you ready to push back and say that that level of abundance is dangerous to my soul and contradictory to what Christ calls me to. Like, are we prepared as believers to make that level of sacrifice and that strong of a dedication to personal holiness, not just the sins that we're not tempted to, not, to do anyway, right? It's easy to say, oh, I would never do that. I'm not a drinker. I could, I could swear off alcohol every Lent and then all the times in between too because it's just not my thing, Right? So that's not like a big mark for my holiness, right? I, I struggle with love of money. I struggle with feeling my possession in, in uh, my security and possessions. That's a harder thing for me, right? Uh, let's not draw the lines of holiness where, they, where it's like outside of our natural boundaries anyway. That's safe and easy, guys. Um, in a, so yeah, I can ask, like, in an increasingly perverse world, is my life marked by purity? That's important. Um, in an increasingly individualistic world, and our culture is, I mean, I'll just say this right now, I think the number one, one of the number one dangers, that's kind of contradictory, um, a huge danger to the American church right now, uh, and I would say this also specifically to marriages, is individualism. Individualism is a dangerous philosophy, <laughs> uh, and it's what, our, it's what our country in a lot of ways was founded on, and that's what makes it hard. It's the soil we grew up in. Um, Am I willing to push back in an increasingly individualistic world to live a life marked by radical generosity and self-sacrifice? Um, those are the real rubber meets the roads questions for us. There's others, but is my life a reflection? Well, I'll put this, let's fix that. My life is a reflection of what I I hold to be true about the world what is my life professing as the truth okay lastly jesus is the truth by which we judge our circumstances so a lot of y'all may know this um a few weeks ago we um we found ourselves in the emergency room with my oldest uh kiddo my one daughter evangeline She's having really bad headaches. And she, her doctor said, y'all should go to the ER. It was uh, meningitis. And meningitis can either be viral or bacterial. And one of those is bad and one of those is real bad. 
um, and you want it to be viral, you don't, ideally you don't really want either of them, but I mean, if you had to pick, you'd pick viral over, over bacterial. And so um, we took her in, they did a spinal tap on her and she was just hardcore and brave um, and she did a great job. I told her, Evangeline, you know how they make maple syrup, right? Uh, this is kind of like that, uh, only instead of maple syrup, it's, it's your brain juice. Uh, so they, they had to test it to see what it was. And it, anyway, um, she, she got well over the next few days. And, you know, people, we, I got to say, this is all happening while I'm talking to this other company about moving. And I'm just, like, overwhelmed by the outpouring of, like, I can't even, like, care for her very well in the hospital because people just keep texting me and calling me and caring for us. Um, this is like the cherry on the top of a really difficult month for us as a family. And the outpouring of, of kindness from this body was overwhelming. Um, but people are checking in. And what's the status? How's it going? What's it going? Uh, and eventually, uh, you know, when we found out it was viral and it just was kind of one of these waited out, you know, hydrate, rest kind of things. Um, I told a few people about this in, as they're checking in on me and, and on her. And I would say, yeah, it's viral. She's doing much better. And on more than one occasion, I got the response. And how many of y'all have heard, you give good news about something and say, God is good. How many of y'all have ever had somebody tell you that when, when you share like something good that has happened? God is good. How many of y'all ever told somebody that? Oh man, God is good. That's okay. I'm not going to fuss at you too hard. Um, What if it had been bacterial? What if, what if she died? God is good. Okay. Um, she didn't. She's back there. Uh, <laughs> um, in the same way that we can look at the philosophies and the activities of the world around us and make them our judge of what is true. It is very easy for us to look at our circumstances and while we wouldn't do it verbally, to judge God according to them. To make what happens to us the standard for God's goodness. Um, And it's, it's a backwards way of viewing the world and our circumstances. Um, very straightforwardly, again, Psalm 119.68, you are good and do good. Done. Full stop. End of sentence. Actually, there might be a semicolon there. Uh, it's written in couplets. But God is good and does good. That cheesy God is good all the time thing that people do, right? It is true. God is good all the time, regardless of your circumstances. And through your circumstances, even when they look hard, even when they are sad, even when they are frustrating, even when they challenge you, I might even add, especially when they challenge you. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
Why? And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How many of y'all know Genesis fifty twenty? As for you, this is Joseph talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God turned it out for good, right? No. God meant it for good. God didn't take lemons and make lemonade. God meant it for good. They meant Jesus, uh, Joseph being thrown in a pit and thrown in jail for good. He meant that for good, for Joseph's good and for the good of the people around him. Y'all, this is where like I put on my counselor hat. Um, when life is hard, God is good. When you are confused, God is good. When you have loss, God is good. When good things happen, God is good. When easy things happen, God is good. Okay? I feel like y'all don't need to be convinced of that as much. I know I don't. But when your third favorite school, the word teacher, leaves and goes to another state, (laughs) God is good. Fourth, if you count Andy Thaxton. Um, uh, God is good, guys. And if I can leave y'all with like one thing, this is the last time I'm going to teach you guys. God is good and he is good to use circumstances for our good. Romans 8.28 and 8.29, we know this verse, this passage. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, what purpose? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be, the son, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Y'all, when life is hard, God is using hardship to make you look more like Jesus. And sometimes that's real literal. I mean, when, when Joseph's life got hard and he got thrown in a pit and then came back out again, like he looked a whole lot like Jesus. When, when Jonah got swallowed by a big old fish and was in there for three days and came back out again, he looked a whole lot like Jesus, right? For you and I, it may not be that literal, but when life is hard, God is using the roughness of this world. He's redeeming the difficulty of this world to make us look more like Jesus, to shave off those things that mar our image of our creator, right? God uses this world, uses the hardships of this world to restore the broken image of man a broken image of God, the marred image of God as revealed in man. He rounds us out. He's faithful. He's committed. He's promised to do that. So when life is hard, and look, y'all, tell yourselves this way more than you tell other people this. Okay, can I just tell you that? When you, somebody's having a hard time, don't, don't start here, please. Um, you might need to get here, but don't start here, please. Um, when life is challenging, fight. And it will not be easy. Fight 
to root your understanding of the circumstances around you to the truth that God is good and that he does good for your well-being and that that well-being specifically, while it might be material blessings, it might be lots of blessings, the one that he's definitely promised you. He has not promised you that you will be wealthy. He has not promised you that you will be healthy. He has not promised you that you will be easygoing. He has promised, he is committed to make you look more like Jesus. And that's the part of the purpose that he is doing here, okay? And why? What's the other thing that he does here? And these really are just two sides of the same coin. He's going to use circumstances for his glory. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. By the way, if you're not in D&D, Dinner Discipleship, Keith Gonzalez is doing a great job teaching through Ephesians. You should come. Um, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, all circumstances, all events, according to what? To the counsel of his will. It's a fancy way of saying God's going to do what God's going to do. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be what? To the praise of his glory. God magnifies his glory on this earth as he takes his people and makes them more like him to reflect his image on the earth so that people who don't know him can see. So that the fruit of the spirit grows in our lives as as Pastor Billy Ray shared at the Med Retreat. And that fruit is a means by which others can taste and see that the Lord is good. God grows those things through challenging circumstances often to reflect his glory in the world and to draw all men to him. And sometimes, ideally all the time, having that understanding of our hardships, of the circumstances around us, can be sustaining grace. Understanding that this is hard. I mean, like I said, the the month before we decided to move was the hardest month of my life. The two months, really. Two hardest months of my life. Hardest for our family. And I didn't always remember this, but there was a sustenance in the fact that I knew, like, this is what God has called us to. And he's using us to reflect his glory on the earth. And he's helping me to look more like Jesus. And man, I don't know what that necessarily looks like right now. (laughs) But there's a comfort in knowing that it's not random chaos. That it's not, who knows what's going to happen next week? Well, God does. And that's good. Um, Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these people. Thank you for faithful students of your word. Lord, help us to be grounded in your truth. Lord, as we process the world to be grounded in your truth, as we walk in our lives to be grounded in your truth, and Lord, as we process through the situations around us, uh, through the good, the sad, the difficult, um, Lord, help us to be grounded in your truth. Lord, help us to know your word. Lord, make us faithful students of your word. We cannot ground in that which we don't understand and know. Make us students of your word and students of you as revealed in your son. Lord, help us to look more like him. Lord, help us to love others the way that he loves others. 
Lord, help us to love you the way that he loves his Father. Lord, help us to be united to one another the way that you and the Father are one. God, grow us in your image by whatever means necessary. Lord, and give us the faith to sustain sustain us and the kindness to support one another. And Lord, endurance in hardship. Lord, thank you for, again, this body. Thank you for the work you've been doing here for years and years in Pastor Peter. Thank you for Todd. Thank you for all the teachers that have come through here. Lord, we are grateful for what you are doing in this body. And Lord, we're grateful for the way that you're growing these folks in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen.